And now, Veep Thoughts by Kamala Harris. You know, when we talk about our children, I know for this group, we all believe that when we talk about the children of the community, they are the children of the community. This has been Veep Thoughts by Kamala Harris. Stu does America. More profound words from Kamala Harris there. Veepthoughts.com is where you can get all of your Veep Thoughts. Every single one of them is there, uh, and uh, you can check them out, share them with your friends. We have uh, really rough news today from Texas at a school west of San Antonio. I'll give you the latest as that breaks. Uh, the media is going full activist yet again uh, on the, uh, here we are on uh, primary night in Georgia, the uh, attack on David Perdue. We'll get into that. But we start by doing the China escalation. There are a lot of things going on in the world. Uh, we've mentioned a couple of them already here tonight. But the biggest thing that affects the most people in the world is the fact that we have a president that may just gaff us into World War III. Uh, that is like something that is always on the table, all out, full nuclear release at any moment because we have a president who just can't do the job he is elected for. I mean, he's sitting there. Uh, trying to get through every day without getting us all blown up, and he doesn't seem to have any ability to do this. Now, this, the most recent example of this, you know all the examples that went on with Ukraine, you know what happened uh, in Afghanistan. Well, now we have a situation with Taiwan, and Taiwan is a difficult topic. It has always been a weird, nuanced situation, especially since Richard Nixon went over to China back in the 70s. And we kind of had this idea that Basically, what we need to do is shut our mouths about it, okay? What we need to do is plan for China potentially doing something about this. But when you're asked in a press conference, what are you doing? What's your plan on Taiwan? The answer is quite simple. The answer is our policy has not changed on Taiwan. And then you stop. You don't say anything else. And even if the reporter looks like, I want more answer, you don't give it to them. That's how you do the job that you're supposed to be doing, Joe. So here he is trying to answer a question about Taiwan. And I want you to notice one particular thing. And this leads to a lot of the problems that we've been having with Joe Biden in his role as president. There's something he likes. There's a rhythm that he likes about answering questions from the press. If you've, you know, if you've ever been, if you've ever been the sort of athlete that I am, Right. You have incredible athlete peak physical condition. Let's say you're playing basketball and you, you play basketball enough times. You watch enough basketball. There's a rhythm in your head. Right. You, you get the ball. You're open in the corner. You, you feel like it's time to shoot the three. Right. And you can almost picture it on television looking perfect. The perfect pass cross court wide open three draining it. Even if like maybe sometimes that's not the right shot. Maybe you're up by eight with 30 seconds left and taking a wide open three is a really terrible idea. But like you can kind of feel the rhythm. You want to do it. You like the rhythm of that moment. Joe Biden likes the rhythm of what you're about to see. And what it is, is you have a nuanced, long, important question. And instead of giving a nuanced, long, uh, thoughtful answer, he likes to just say yes and stop or no and stop. Because there's a there's a thing inside of Joe Biden that says, you know what, this will show I'm a I'm a I'm a 
I'm a, I'm a tough talker. I'm a, I'm a clear guy. I'm, I'm just saying the facts. I'm not trying to talk around these issues. I'm just saying it. And the American people will see that I, I'm resolute. Well, this is what he does here in this moment. And of course, as it always seems to do, gets him in trouble. There are moments in which you're supposed to be careful and use your words carefully. And that's what Joe Biden does not do here. You didn't want to get involved in the Ukraine conflict militarily for obvious reasons. Are you willing to get involved militarily to defend Taiwan if it comes to that? Yes. You are? That's the commitment we made. No, no, it's not. That's the commitment we made. We are not. Look, here's the situation. Now, Blab. We agree with a one China policy. Mm -hmm. We signed on to it and Mm -hmm. all the attendant agreements made from there. Mm -hmm. But the idea that that it can be taken by force, just taken by force, is just not is just not appropriate. It will dislocate the entire region and be another action similar to what happened in in uh, in Ukraine. OK, so that's not what the policy that we have says. That would be a change in the policy. But he liked the moment to be able to say yes and stop and pause and give the drama and then blabber on about, uh, you know, try to back off the fact that he just changed U.S. policy right in front of our eyes like a magician. Uh, now, of course, the media went back to him. They, the White House did their typical cycle of backing off the horrible comments that he said. And the reason why this is horrible is not because, you know, we shouldn't defend Taiwan. We may very well defend Taiwan. Our, our policy for a long time has been basically strategic ambiguity. We don't really give the details of what we would do. And that's been the dance we've been going on for a long time. Now, if you want to change that policy, you can change that policy. Congress is supposed to be involved in such things. But like, you know, there is a moment where you're supposed to basically maintain the same thing unless you're intentionally trying to change the policy. We didn't have a policy of regime regime change in Russia until the president decided to say that we did. And then they had to back off of it again. And around and around we go. Now, of course, they decided to go back and ask Joe Biden about this today. Here's how the exchange went. Mr. President, is the policy of strategic ambiguity toward Taiwan dead? No. Could you explain? No. Mr. President, would you send troops to Taiwan if China invaded? The policy has not changed at all. I stated that when I made my statement yesterday. Well, of course, as you heard, that's not what he actually said uh, yesterday. Shut up. Okay. Shut up. Shut up. Stop talking. Stop the talkie. When you talk, You ruin things. Stop saying things about things. Stop. When you think I want to say a thing, think to yourself, I shouldn't say anything because when I say things, I ruin things. Stop saying things. That's the conversation somebody needs to have with the president of the United States. Now, of course, as you remember, Donald Trump occasionally would go off a little bit and say things that weren't all that helpful either. And as you remember, the media destroyed him over it every single time he did it. A bit different treatment from the New York Times today. President Biden is famously imprecise speaker. He is sometimes makes statements that convey his emotions more than specific policy views. Oh, well, that's, I guess, okay then. You don't change policy on a whim at a platform during a press conference. That's not how it's supposed to be done. Yet here we are in the middle of two 
giant nuclear powers, and this guy may just gaff us into World War III. Congratulations. Fo uh, foreign policy expert uh, wrote in the Washington uh, Post about this. Uh, he said, words matter in diplomacy and in law. Yes. Uh, the president was asked if the United States had an obligation to defend Taiwan if it was attacked by China. He replied, yes, we do. And the Chinese must understand that. Yes, I would. The interviewer asked, would the full force of the American, uh, with the full force of the American military, whatever it took to help Taiwan defend itself? As these comments went on, the United States has not been obligated to defend Taiwan since we abrogated the 1954 Mutual Defense Treaty signed by President Eisenhower and ratified by the Senate. The Taiwan Relations Act articulates as a matter of policy that any attempt to determine the future of Taiwan by other than peaceful means would constitute a threat to the peace and security of the Western Pacific area and would be of grave concern to the United States. OK, well, we understand it's an important thing. But the op-ed goes on. As a matter of diplomacy, there's a huge difference between reserving the right to use force and obligating ourselves to come to the defense of Taiwan. The president should not cede to Taiwan, much less to China, the ability automatically to draw us into a war across the Taiwan Strait. The president has broad policymaking authority in the realm of foreign policy, but his powers as commander in chief are not absolute under the Constitution, as well as the provisions of the Taiwan Relations Act. The commitment of U.S. forces to the defense of Taiwan is a matter of the president should bring to the American people and to Congress ends the op ed with words matter. The op ed, by the way, is titled not so deft on Taiwan. And by the way, the author of the op ed, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. He wrote that about George W. Bush because we supposedly have our government's foremost expert on the Taiwan situation as president of the United States right now. So much of an expert he was that he was the one they went to when they wanted to bash George W. Bush for making mistakes on the Taiwan policy. They went to Joe Biden, and that's how Joe Biden laid it out 20 years ago, back in the day when I guess you could be held responsible for things that you said. It's fascinating to watch. It's fascinating to watch this happen. This president has so many continuous catastrophes going on at the same time. I, I, I just, I, again, I didn't come into this thinking he'd do a good job. I was not high on the prospect of a Joe Biden presidency. I didn't think he'd be a good president. But could you possibly imagine this going worse than it is? And you know what? I've been saying that so much on this show over and over and over again. I say that same freaking thing. And then I'm on the air a week later with a brand new catastrophe to tell you about. And now it's worse than it was last week or the week before or the week before that. All the time. It's it's. It's constant. It's constant. And it's what's made this president really, really unpopular. We've done this little exercise before, but let's do it again right now, shall we? Let's go back and look at the approval rating of the first term of every president we have data on going back to Harry Truman. And let's see how Joe Biden compares. Joe Biden at 41 percent, Harry Truman 43 percent. So he's worse than Harry Truman. Dwight Eisenhower 61.3 percent, Biden at 41 percent. Wow, way worse than Dwight Eisenhower, John F. Kennedy, 74 percent, Joseph Biden, 41 percent. So Biden is worse 
than John F. Kennedy. Lyndon B. Johnson, 68 percent. Joe Biden, 41 percent. So Joe Biden is worse than Lyndon B. Johnson. Richard Nixon, 57.1 percent. Joe Biden, 41 percent. So Joe Biden is worse than Richard Nixon. Gerald Ford, 44.2 percent. Joe Biden, 41 percent. So Biden is worse than Gerald Gerald Ford. Jimmy Carter, Jimmy freaking Carter, 43.1 percent. Biden at 41 percent. So Biden is worse than Jimmy Carter. Ronald Reagan, 45 percent. Joe Biden, 41 percent. So Joe Biden is worse than Ronald Reagan. George H.W. Bush, 65 percent. Joe Biden, 41 percent. So Joe Biden is worse than George H.W. Bush. Bill Clinton, 50.9 percent. Joe Biden, 41 percent. So Joe Biden is worse than Bill Clinton. George W. Bush, 72 percent. Joe Biden, 41 percent. So Joe Biden is worse than George W. Bush. Barack Obama, 48.4 percent. Joe Biden, 41 percent. So Joe Biden is worse than Barack Obama. And usually I'd have to stop right here because Donald Trump came into office as a very unpopular president, as you may Remember, he's never done well in approval polls and came in as a very divisive guy. His side liked him. The other side didn't like him. And that was sort of the state of affairs throughout his entire presidency. But here we are, I think, what, 490 days into the Joe Biden presidency. And here is the state of affairs. Donald Trump, 42.3 percent. Joe Biden, 41.1 percent. Joe Biden is now worse than Donald Trump. Yes, the guy that everyone told you was literally Hitler has a higher approval rating than Joe Biden. In fact, every president we have data for has a higher approval rating at this point in their presidency than Joe Biden. A lot of people sit around and they say, hey, you know, this guy feels like the worst president any of us have ever seen. Guess what? There's data to back that up. That seems to be exactly who this guy is. And every single day, there's a new reason to believe it. And every single day, the situation seems to get worse. It's amazing. And I don't know, if I was a Democrat right now, I would be terrified by what's about to happen in these midterms if something dramatic does not change. We'll look at some of the new breaking news on the primaries today. And if you stay tuned after the break, we'll look at the media's latest attack on Georgia's gubernatorial candidate, David Perdue. It is another ridiculous one. But would you put anything past the media at this point? Back in a second. Summer is right around the corner and GenuCell is celebrating early with their summer clearance sale. Now, save over 60% on GenuCell's most popular package at GenuCell.com. Order today and get GenuCell's dark spot corrector uh, to visibly reduce those pesky dark sunspots, and that's absolutely free. Now, uh, GenuCell uh, gets letters all the time. Uh, they, our listeners write in all the time, and like Cynthia from Arlington, she says, after using GenuCell products, my husband said, wow, you look younger. Whatever you're doing, it's working. He didn't know I started using GenuCell. I like the texture and how the smell is not too strong. Their products are easy to use and great for my sensitive skin. I've tried the expensive products and GenuCell 
is the best. Uh, many, many of my family members, my wife, my mom, have used GenuCell. They love it as well. If you sign up for GenuCell's Best in Class Rewards program at checkout, you can save an extra 10% off uh, your order, and you can receive a complimentary gift set for free. Uh, go to GenuCell.com slash stew. Get 60% off. G-E-N-U-C-E-L dot com slash stew. Right now, every most popular package includes GenuCell's immediate effects for results in as little as 12 hours. GenuCell is always hooking you up. They are always on your side here. GenuCell.com slash stew. It's G-E-N-U-C-E-L dot com slash stew. So the primary is tonight, and in Georgia and Alabama... There's some in Minnesota. There's something going on in Texas in the runoff situation. There's a bunch of stuff going on. The, the, the kind of primary, primary race is in Georgia. It's been the marquee battle here. And it goes between David Perdue and uh, Kemp as well, uh, the governor of Georgia. And it, mainly it's been kind of a, a point of fascination, not because really – Anyone would be surprised to see, in normal circumstances, Kemp hold on. He's been a successful governor. He's generally popular across the state. It's a right-leaning year. He's going to cruise to re-election by almost everybody's estimation if he can get through this primary. It's mainly because, you know, Donald Trump is involved. And anytime Donald Trump is involved, we all have to care with thousands and thousands of percent of all of our being. We all have to talk about it all the time. And he, and you know, he, look, he, we know Donald Trump's position on the 2020 election, particularly in Georgia. He targeted Kemp, uh, got David Perdue to run. And so far, the polling does not look great. We'll see what happens tonight on that for uh, for the Trump endorsed Purdue. But the media is going after Purdue in such ridiculous ways. And it's largely because, you know, he's tied to Donald Trump and this endorsement. And that means, of course, obviously, if he's friendly with Donald Trump, that means he's a racist. That's the only way you can go through this. And I was fascinated by this, the coverage of this comment yesterday that David Purdue made. And I want to kind of walk you through the story because it's it's fascinating in so many ways. And the number one thing I want to start with is the way the media is sort of definitively calling it a racist comment. This is not a an alleged racist comment. This is not that some people took it that way. This is just pure racism. The trial has occurred and David Perdue has been convicted. That is it. It is racism. I mean, I'm not I'm not overstating this. Here is the headline from The New York Times. David Perdue makes racist remarks about Stacey Abrams as he ends his lackluster campaign um, and uh, talks about uh, the comments. Perdue makes racist remark about Abrams. She's demeaning her own race. Perdue closes primary run with racist attack on Stacey Abrams. David Perdue caps his campaign for Georgia governor with a racist remark against Stacey Abrams and a Trump tele-rally. Trump has to be included in that story. For what reason? Who knows? So this is the remark, as you heard it alluded to in the in the New York Times headline uh, and one of the other headlines as well, that uh, she that he said that um, that farmers uh, that she was demeaning her own race. And it goes to this comment she made about farmers. And this is back in 2018. She said people shouldn't have to go into agriculture or hospitality to make a living in Georgia. Okay. Now, on Monday, Purdue said this. This is the racist comment. Get ready for it. Get ready for all this racism here. When she told black farmers, you don't need to be on the farm, and she told black workers in hospitality and all this, you don't need to be, she's demeaning her own race when it comes to that. I'm really over this. She should never be considered material for governor of any state, much less a state where she hates 
she says she hates to live, which, of course, is the thing that started all of all of this controversy in the first place. Stacey Abrams telling everybody that Georgia was the worst state in the union. Um, that's not the controversial part, of course. This is the controversial part. Now, I think you could kind of fairly say maybe that she I don't know. Uh, that, they, that David Perdue sort of ham-handedly brought race into the issue. Her comment was about all people in Georgia. He kind of specified uh, that it was about black, uh, black farmers and black hospitality workers, both of which exist. I don't think anybody would deny that. Um, but he didn't. Uh, racism is, is a thing. It's, it's, it's not just a word you apply to Republicans you don't like. It means something. And it's supposed to mean you are judging a race or demeaning a race um, based on the color of their skin. That's what it's supposed to be. Well, look at his comment again. When she told black farmers, you don't need to be on the farm, she is demeaning her own race. So he is being critical of Stacey Abrams for demeaning black people. He is saying that their job, you know, he's demeaning uh, uh, black people because they t- take jobs that apparently Stacey Abrams believes are below them. And she's demeaning members of her own race by, by saying that those jobs essentially suck, right? That's the comment. It's not a comment about, well, black people shouldn't be able to get jobs that are that other than in the hospitality field. That's not what he's saying at all. He doesn't even indicate that. All he says is, hey, She's going after people and saying that their their jobs, their lives are not not good enough. And that's demeaning. How how is that racist exactly? Again, everybody just went ahead and said, you know, confirmed for everybody that this was an open and shut case. David Perdue is a racist. And this is a real problem. By the way, this is the uh, they asked uh, Stacey Abrams about this during an interview on MSNBC on Monday. Mrs. Abrams declined to comment on Mr. Perdue's remarks, regardless of which Republican it is. I have yet to hear them articulate a plan for the future of Georgia. Now, Stacey Abrams is not exactly shy about trying to take advantage of a racial controversy. So you can tell that she doesn't even she's she can't even trace how this is racist. And here's the thing, like these comments, when there's this thing that's happened during the Trump era where the media has decided this is too important. We just have to say it. We can't, we can no longer hide behind our uh, typical left-leaning bias. We have to go farther. We have to push it. We have to keep going. We have to make sure that people know exactly where we stand. We know it's like what happened with the Hunter Biden case. We can't we can't feign journalism here. We have to just deny this even occurred. We can't even tell people that that because it could change the election. And Trump is so bad. We can't let this happen. And that's where the media is now. They are straight out activists. And in other parts of the story, they may have a legitimate point to be firm on. Right. Like if you have something that is actual, uh, an actual fact and you want to state that fact and you want to state that fact strongly, that's something that the media has to do. But it should only do it when there isn't a lot of disagreement. There isn't legitimate disagreement on this. They don't even explain why it's racist. They don't even explain it. And, you know. The only explanation as to why that is a racist comment, because, again, his whether you like his comment or not, what he's doing is defending black farmers and black hospitality workers from being demeaned by the Democratic candidate. That is what the comment is. There's no other way to look at it than that. And they're trying to make this into something 
that it is not. And the only way you can get to racism on David Perdue is the Robin D'Angelo construction of it. The Robin D'Angelo construction of if you are white and you say something about race, you are racist. If you are actually if you're just white, you are racist. If you are white and a Republican, you're definitely racist. And if you're white and you're Republican and you mention race, then you're totally you're triple racist. This is the Ibram Kendi School of Journalism at work in multiple publications telling you without explanation and without uh, any disagreement or nuance or even an attempt to make people understand this is automatically racist because a white Republican said it. And again, his comment is defending black farmers, black hospitality workers from being demeaned by Stacey Abrams. And you might say, well, Stacey Abrams would never uh, demean a black person. She's black. Who's racist if that's your argument? What do you mean she can't demean black people because she's black? That's insane. That's racism. Over and over and over again, this happens and you lose your credibility when you make these definitive statements. When you say uh, David Perdue makes a racist comment, when I saw that headline, I was like, geez, there's no nuance to that. They're not even trying to say that some people are accusing him of racism. They're just saying it is racism. Full stop. Okay, well, that's got to be really bad. What did he say? Did he quote Hitler? Did he uh, did he say how much he loved the KKK? What exactly is it? And you find out that it's him defending black farmers. That is actually what they are calling racism over and over again. This stuff keeps happening. And much more importantly than a guy who's probably going to lose his primary pretty in, 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 you know, by by dozens and dozens of points. This might not be the most important application. But when you talk about these things this way, when you do need to actually tell people a fact about something, whether it be COVID-19 or election integrity or whatever it is, no one's going to believe you because you constantly bring politics in and act as if the activist left take is fact when it isn't. Back in a second. You know, buying or selling a home is already one of the most stressful things you can do, and it can be 10 times worse if you're not working with the right agent. Generally speaking, our homes are our biggest investment, and that's a lot of responsibility. You need an agent who can take it seriously. That's why I always recommend to you realestateagentsitrust.com. They only work with the best agents in every market. They do their homework every single day, talking to every agent before inviting them to join the network. And Here's a big one. They only work with full-time professionals, no part-time or inexperienced agents. The team makes the introduction, follows you through the buying process and or selling process, and makes sure that you are satisfied. The process is simple. Just go to realestateagentsitrust.com today, and you just got to give them some basic info. The team will contact you to make an introduction to the preferred agent in your area. Don't miss it. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Whether you're buying or selling a home, realestateagentsitrust.com. Uh, You know, we every once in a while have to come on the air and talk to you about a terrible shooting. And this, unfortunately, is the case today. Some of these shootings are really, really horrible. Uh, They're all obviously awful in their own way. There's something particularly terrible about when it happens to young children. Uh, When, you know, Sandy Hook is, I've said this before, it sort of stands apart from almost all of these other things to me because... It was an elementary school. You're talking about seven and eight-year-olds. You know, uh, it's incomprehensible that something like this could ever 
happen. And unfortunately, it happened again today. 14 students were killed. One teacher is also dead. There's a bunch of people also uh, in the hospital being treated. Uh, these kids were, I mean, you know, 10 years old, it seems like. Um, the details are still coming out. I'm not going to give you the detail of the uh, name of the shooter, uh, but uh, I can tell you he was 18 years old, uh, was a student at the high school in the same town. Now, this is... I'll give you this detail just because it's it's somewhat important to the narrative that the left is obviously going to try to paint. Typically what they do is tell you, uh, obviously we know the gun control thing is going to come. That's already happening on the floor of the Senate as we speak. Um, but in addition to this, we just had this Buffalo shooting where someone came from out of town to a, uh, a minority neighborhood and shot a bunch of people in a grocery store. Uh, there was speculation that this might be the same type of thing. Uh, this is a, a community apparently that's about 80% Hispanic. Um, and the idea was, was this someone from out of the area doing another racist type of attack? Does not seem to be the case here at all. Uh, it's someone who was from the town, from the high school. And I'm not going to give you the person's name because I think the main reason this stuff uh, happens at a higher rate here than it does in other places is not because of guns. Um, but a large part of it is because of the attention we give these people after they go through with it. Uh, we give them this awful amount of bizarre fame. So I'm not going to give you the name. All I'm going to tell you is that it is uh, a Hispanic name. Uh, it does not seem to be a situation where it was some white supremacist who came in to shoot Hispanics. Um, just to get that part of the narrative out of the way, uh, Greg Abbott had a uh, press conference um, there looks like there's 15 students in the hospital's emergency department uh, in the wake of the incident. Uh, a couple were transferred to San Antonio. A third was pending transfer. All this is obviously, you know, going to change as we go through the day, depending on when you're uh, listening to the show. But really, really bad. I think we can all agree um, that, you know, maybe I, as I'm looking at my next story here, maybe we can't all agree. But let's try to all agree that ending the lives of children is bad. Can we start with that premise before I go on to the next story? Can we all agree that ending the lives of children, bad? Can you get on board with that statement? Now, let me go to the next one. Polling shows America in the middle on abortion. Mm -hmm. And I've said this before, when I've talked about abortion, it's a topic that I, I you know, care a lot about. Uh, it's, you know, probably maybe the most because you're talking about millions and millions and millions of people who should be alive and aren't. And because of that, I think it's probably the most important issue that we face. Um, and you know how I feel about it. I'm, I'm, I'm very passionately pro-life. And a lot of times we get into this part of the, the political conversation and we look at like the Democrats position on this and we say they're insane, which they are. And they they want their policy, their actual policy of the party is abortion at any moment during the pregnancy as long as the woman makes that choice. That's their that's their policy. One second before birth. Completely fine. As long as mommy's making a choice, because that apparently is the thing we care about the most. And look, you know. Obviously, I think the life of another person is really important. Uh, so I, I don't agree with that analysis. What I will say, though, is that a lot of 
the, the kind of conservative or Republican response is, of course, we'd like we're, we're pro-life and we, we don't want any abortion. But wouldn't it be better if the Democrats were just sensible on this issue and they picked a point in the middle? And that's kind of what these polls say. There are people who want abortion at three months and someone, uh, you know, very few wanted at six or nine months, but some do. But a bunch of people wanted at three months or in the first, you know, 10 weeks of pregnancy or whatever it is. And what's interesting about that is it's I don't know. This is one of those issues where the extremes actually are the same positions. The, the ones in the middle don't really make much sense. Uh, it's a life or it's not. You, you keep it alive or you don't. You know, I mean, I, he's saying, OK, well, we can kill it at a certain point in the pregnancy is really not a sensible moral or logical argument. It's just middle ground because you feel bad saying the thing that you probably know is true. Anyway, what's amazing about this is we really do have a, 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 a country that is undecided on this issue. A lot of people really don't know which way they're going. <laughs> they're coming or they're going. Here's the here's a three party breakdown. About a third of Republicans are OK with abortion at uh, at some point in the pregnancy, really for any reason. So here we go. the percentage who say they think it should be possible to obtain a legal abortion for any reason. So. Again, you know what those reasons are. Some of them are rape or incest, but some of them. So about a third of Republicans, um, about half of independents, and about two-thirds of Democrats. But that's pretty notable. I mean, two-thirds of Democrats think you should be able to get an abortion. A third don't. And if you look at the party the way it is right now, so incredibly extreme, they're not even representing their own party at this point. Uh, Now, look, if you answer, if you kind of take those those numbers and you take that 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 statement, um, this is through 27 annual surveys of at least 1,300 Americans um, uh, conducted between 1977 and 2001 from the General Social Survey, and at a time there was a time where people were pretty much aligned, less than half certainly, but about 40 percent of people thought abortion should be available at any point. That has really changed. Democrats have become the shout your abortion party. And Republicans have honestly remained basically flat on the issue. You haven't seen too much movement, a little bit of movement toward the pro-life side. Uh, But, you know, of course, this includes these outlying possibilities, the very rare instances of rape and incest that, you know, the left likes to talk about because they know most people will agree with them on that. But we'll get into uh, that. There's a story maybe we have to get into tomorrow of New York Magazine shouting the abortion, saying, hey, buy this magazine and we'll show you how to get an abortion even if it isn't legal in your state. And it's just amazing the bravery, the bravery shown as they target the most helpless among us. Just an incredible, incredible country we live in. Indiana has uh, the House there passed a law to uh, to basically ban trans uh, athletes in, in school from uh, ch- switching genders and competing on the other side. Um, and the governor, the Republican governor of uh, Indiana, actually over, uh, you know, vetoed the bill. Uh, that is now going to be uh, over, uh, is overridden. They've overridden that veto. So that will become law in Indiana. And State Farm is, this is interesting. State Farm has abandoned uh, a project they had going on. It's an LGBTQ children's book program. This is after an email leak to, I believe it was Christopher Rufo once again, who seems to be the, uh, he's able to get these really more than almost anybody else. Uh, But he is, the the program was called Gender Cool. 
and they were uh, supposed to recruit hundreds and a of agents and staff volunteers to help diversify classroom, community center, and library bookshelves with a collection of books to help bring clarity and understanding to the national conversation about being transgender, inclusive, and non-binary. One character named Gia is introduced to young readers as a transgender girl who uses she, her pronouns, and she says, when you're, when you're born, a doctor looks at you and says, it's a boy or it's a girl based on your body. But gender isn't that simple. You see, when I was born, the doctor said, it's a boy, but this wasn't true. Actually, sorry, Gia, it was. Um, now, uh, State Farm is stepping up and saying, eh, okay, uh, we're not gonna do that anymore. State Farm's support of the a philanthropic program, Gender Cool, has been the subject of news and customer inquiries. The program that in included books about gender identity was intended to promote inclusivity. Conversations about gender and identity should happen at home with parents. Yeah. We don't support required curriculum in schools on this topic. We support organizations providing resources for parents to have these conversations, you know, at home with their kids, which is where those conversations should occur. So this looks like you know, maybe these companies are seeing what happened with Disney and seeing the pushback in so many other areas that conservatives have been uh, complaining about lately. And State Farm is taking a stance and saying, look, you know, this we, we shouldn't have been promoting this into schools and libraries. This should be something that goes on with parents at home. Good. Good for you. I'm glad they went the right way on this. They have uh, decided they are going to no longer support that particular program. Back in a second. Spring and summer are the seasons for finally getting outdoors and entertaining. I'm talking pool parties. I'm talking grilling up some food. I'm talking throwing the baseball around. I, me getting killed by my son at wiffle ball in the backyard over and over again. He's now at that age where he's just, he's beating me. And it's, it's, it's just tough to take. It really is. But if your yard looks like a plant cemetery, you're not going to enjoy it nearly as much, which is why you should get your place looking up to snuff easily with fast-growing trees. When it comes to caring uh, for your plants, uh, know-how has, uh, it absolutely matters. That's why fastgrowingtrees.com uh, is the place to go, because I don't have any know-how. I don't know anything about trees. I don't know which ones will live or die in my yard. I will say I've had six trees die over the past two freezes. Every time it freezes here, the trees die. And then I have to pay all this money to put new trees in. Well, not this time. This time I didn't have to pay much money at all because I went to fastgrowingtrees.com and I got the trees to replace those other trees. And these trees aren't going to die when it gets a little chilly, okay? Because they have an easy thing. You tell them your zip code and they give you a selection of trees, you know, that will live in your area. Fastgrowingtrees.com uh, slash stew. Go there right now. Get 15% off your entire order. 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com slash stew. Fastgrowingtrees.com slash stew. Nancy Pelosi sucks. I know it. You know it. Even the Catholic Church seems to know it now. Hmm. They've recognized her suckitude to such a point that they're actually denying her official communion services, which is, that's, I mean, that's some serious suck when you think about it. She sucks. Unfortunately, we don't have the ability to restrict Nancy from religious traditions. I wish we did, but we don't. So what can we do? Well, we can show off our pens. Yes, the official Studas America Nancy Pelosi sucks pen is back in stock, and you can get yours now at studasmerch.com, or if you'd prefer, Nancy Pelosi sucks pen. 
Com. It features Nancy Pelosi's official signature from Donald Trump's impeachment, plus a little bonus text. And this is the perfect way, of course, to show the world what you think of our current House Speaker. Please, please let it be over after the election. Namely, uh, she sucks. Big time. Studosmerch.com. NancyPelosiSucksPen.com. It's the place to go to get yours today. Be sure to enter the promo code STU10 at checkout for 10% off your order at Nancy Pelosi Sucks Pen. Dot com. On YouTube, you can get all the shows. Please subscribe. Go there right now. If you're listening on YouTube, you're viewing on YouTube, click subscribe, click the bell, do all the things. If you're listening on podcasts today, please go over there and uh, click follow the show. It really does help us expand the audience and help keep us on the air, which is, uh, you know, I, I find it to be mildly important. Todd writes in about yesterday's show. This might be one of your best shows. I love the numbers, primary analysis, the complicated government intervention in the formula industry talk. Love it. I thought it would be another, uh, the formula is still not on the shelves talk. Nope. Actual discussion on the challenges in the industry caused by regulatory capture and other government interventions. I love this stupid show. Thank you so much, Todd. I'm glad because I, I do feel like a lot of the analysis on this stuff is just boiling down to this is bad. And yes, it's bad, but we really need to go deeper in how we can solve these problems in the future. Patrick writes, calling country buffet Stacy an honest politician is like calling Nancy Ice Cream a good Catholic. Well, we just covered that. She sucks. Uh, Elise writes, uh, so glad you're back. I missed your stupid show. And that's five freaking stars. Thank you very much. And uh, uh, congratulations coming in to AOC on her engagement. I can't wait for them to announce that AOC's fiance, Riley, the man is pregnant. And see, people say all the time, you guys are partisans, you're conservatives, you don't even try to reach out to the other side. And here we have a wish, a well-wisher, who wants to make sure that AOC's male lover has a great pregnancy. And I can't think of a warmer message than that. We live in a weird country, man, and we have these strange instincts that we've developed over the past few years when it comes to social media, which is whenever something goes on, you're supposed to go to social media and try to take advantage of some tragic uh, tragedy that has happened. Um, I don't understand the instinct. Uh, this is, but you know, let me give you an example of it. This is what's coming over the next few days, so get used to this. Hillary Clinton, thoughts and prayers are not enough. Uh, at least she's backed off from the typical, I don't want your thoughts and prayers. This is thoughts and prayers are not enough. I guess they're still welcome, though. After years of nothing else, we are becoming a nation of anguished screams. We simply need legislators willing to stop the scourge of gun violence in America that is murdering our children. I mean, look, this is completely ridiculous. Um, I, it's not about legislation. You can't legislate out an 18-year... You can't. Uh, you, this guy uh, apparently killed his grandmother, or at least shot his grandmother. I don't. We don't know for sure the condition before this even happened. So, I mean, you're gonna make sure grandmothers can't have guns too? Uh, of course, this is what they want, but they'll never say that. Uh, this is not something you can legislate out. It's unfortunate, but it is true. You're not going to be able to do it. And I will remind you, and people forget this, and. You'll hear the arguments about guns. They're going on already. This is just the Democrats trying to take advantage of people's uh, horrific tragedies over and over again. But when I was in high school, this is in the 90s, I was much more likely to die in a school shooting 
than any child in school today. That is not me making it up. That is government statistics, much more likely to die in a school shooting in the 90s than you are today. It doesn't make you feel any better on a day like this if you happen to be someone who knows uh, someone who was involved in this terrible incident in Texas. We'll have all the details on it tomorrow on the radio program. Rough day, man. Uh, we will see you then.